This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, um, don't you feel safer now? Yeah, uh, I feel... I mean, there's no more nuclear threat. You know, there's no more nuclear threat. So I'm glad that you and I could sleep a little bit better last night. We sleep much better. Well, let's talk about the new axis of evil, which is the title of our show today. We do have a new axis of evil, yes. and people are going to be surprised about but, this. But some background, you know, about the axis of evil. The previous the axis. The previous of, axis of right. evil. This is, this is Iran. You know, this is what was, um, I, I guess, declared during the uh, George W. administration. Yes, it was Iran, Syria, and North Korea, I believe, was the official axis of evil. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, those three countries. But we have an updated version of the new axis of evil, and I think it's important. You know, at that time when those countries were, were determined to be the axis of evil, we had economic sanctions on these countries. There was big political and military pressure put on all of the countries. One of the countries at the time, North Korea, was actively involved in, you know, putting together a nuclear program. It was thought that the Iranians, you know, were in full force in developing their nuclear program. Syria, we know, had at some point begun the process, but we also know that the Israelis in that infamous attack bombed the uh, Syrian nuclear reactor. But at the time, it was part of this big kind of political evil Access and uh, now Jamal, it's so now we have a new one. North Korea and its uh, leader, their Kim Jong Un, yeah, Kim Jong Un. They're great. They're smart. They are our friends, right? Yeah, we're and, going to develop. And meanwhile, President uh, Donald Trump he derailed the longtime relationship with longtime allies like Canada. He also has been criticizing the EU. So there is, in, in fact, a boycott now from Canada, yeah. boycotting the United States. Trump blamed Trudeau for his decision not to sign a joint communique with other members of the G7 uh, during the close of their last meeting, uh, basically to invite also Putin, who's our of buddy. Course. Of course. So there is a whole new change. So who do you think is going to be the new axis of evil, well, according to Trump? Here, here's the new axis of evil. It's Canada. It's the EU. And I believe Mexico will have kind of honorary kind of uh, admittance into the new axis of evil. So we have a new axis of evil. It's like, and here's the criteria for being the new axis of evil. You have to be a democratic uh, country. You have to have your leaders elected democratically. You have to be committed to human rights. And you absolutely mostly should have a long history of being a strong ally of the United States prior to Donald Trump. If you meet all of those criteria, you get to belong in the new axis of evil club. So definitely Canada is one. Canada for sure. E Trump called Trudeau dishonest and weak. Right. And the White House aide Peter Navarro said there was a special place in hell for, just for leaders like Trudeau who engaged in bad faith diplomacy with Trump. 
So you're absolutely this. Uh, we, we're on a, in agreement that uh, Canada is now joins the new axis of evil. Yes. Next, EU. Okay. Well, the EU, you know, has been uh, as a as a kind of collective economic and to some extent a political bloc has been, you know, a long-standing ally of the United States, both politically, economically, and of course, because of our long-standing relationship in NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, you know, the relationship between Europe and the United States is considered among not just the oldest, but the most solid. For example, like France and uh, the UK have been allies of the United States almost from day one. Now, recently, Trump, as you know, has threatened to impose tariffs and sanctions, and which would pretty much cause a major economic uh, disruption. The EU is already having difficulties, obviously, because of Brexit, so on and so forth. But the EU now has been criticized. I think Trump called Macron weak also, was very critical of Macron. He was very critical of Angela Merkel. And especially critical of Theresa May. Now, the UK is not formally part of the EU, obviously, but one of the longest allies. So maybe I might add EU and UK as another possible membership into the new American Axis of Evil Club. And I would add, actually, in general, all immigrants, but starting with our neighbors to the south, Mexico and Central America, and all axes. So that that's also part of. So so the new axis of evil, according to Trump, is Canada, the EU, Mexico. I think that's the new axis of evil, and uh, certainly, you know, to get membership into this, uh, you know, the criteria seems to be the same. You must be democratic. Uh, you must be committed to, you know, human rights, dignity. Um, you know, and uh, free and open trade. If you meet all of those criteria, you can become part of the new axis of evil. Now, I really, uh, we have to put this in the larger context, right, Jamal, just because, you know, Donald Trump comes back. He fancies himself as this great negotiator, as you know. He hits it off with Kim Jong-un to the point that they had I think a bigger bromance, he had a bigger bromance with Kim Jong-un than he had with uh, Macron or Trudeau or anybody else. He really seems to take a liking to dictators quite a bit. He really, really liked Kim Jong-un. They seem to get on quite, uh, quite famously. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's actually In a way, going from uh, like a whole 180 from calling him rocket man to calling him now a smart man and he's good honorable. and honorable and good for his people. Yes, and I, I love the question and he's 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 had the same answer when someone asked him about P- Putin and when someone asked him about Erdogan. So someone asked uh, Trump, but listen, Kim Jong-un, he uh, he you know, he's he's killed, you know, thousands of his own citizens. Hundreds of thousands of North Koreans are in uh, internment camps or hard labor camps. He assassinated his uh, stepbrother's half-brother, and he fed one of his uncles to starving dogs as a way of punishing the uncle and killing him. And so when, when someone asked Trump, well, 
but he's you're saying all these great things, but he's done these horrible things. <laughs> Trump says, well, he's a tough guy. You know, he's tough. Not that he is a dictator, not that he's a despot, not that he has committed heinous acts against, you know, citizens of his own country, but actually saw it as a compliment to Kim Jong-un, that he's a tough guy, you know, he has a tough job, and at no point did he ever condemn uh, Kim Jong-un or some of his activities. Now now that the dust has settled on this uh, Trump-Kim bromance, uh, it's worth taking a a look to assess what, if anything— was achieved, right? So well, that's easy. There is the, you know, so uh, after this whole big event and and hoopla and whatever, you know, there were basically what I, you know, trying to watch and see in reading the so-called agreement and so forth. There were no answers, only questions. No timelines. No timelines. So it's it's really it's very important for us, you know, to discuss, you know, for example, did the summit rhetoric match reality? I don't think so. And and what are the terms? You know, it's mostly it seemed to be a free giveaway for Kim. Well, Kim is the big winner in this. Jamal. He's the winner. He's for the winner. sure. He gets a meeting with the leader of the so-called free world. He gets a cessation of military exercises, the biggest, you know, the biggest military exercise that the United States does, the military does, is their, I mean, they do it twice a year, these military exercises in North Korea with our partners in in the region. And he has said that basically he's going to suspend these joint military exercises in in South Korea. Um, That's a huge win. I mean, Kim, Kim's father and grandfather have been demanding a cessation. They consider it a threat. So for Trump to not only give him the opportunity to meet with the president, but to have a cessation of military exercises is a huge, huge, huge win for Kim Jong-un. And also normalized North Korea. But here is actually, uh, for me, the giveaway about this whole or the conclusion about this whole summit, right? Yeah. And this is very important okay. for countries like Iran, for example, right. uh, which ha- has been shunned by the uh, Trump administration. Right. Is that it's, it's really, I mean, it, it doesn't need a genius to come to this conclusion. First... <laughs> Obtain the capability to Did have you, nuclear weapons. Absolutely. Test your nucre- nuclear weapons. Absolutely. Let let others know that you do have nuclear weapons. Then sit down and talk. That's absolutely. Because when we were talking about the axis of evil, the axis of evil, as we said, North Korea was part of the axis of evil. Iran was part of the axis of evil. And... Syria was right. part of the axis of evil. Iraq, as at one point, was part of the axis. Actually, not, not Syria. Iraq was part of the axis of evil. What happened? The United States invaded Iraq, destroyed, destroyed the country. More than a million Iraqis have died so far. Trillions of dollars have been wasted as far as, as, far as from the United States. And ISIS, not, not to mention all uh, the people who died because of this. And ISIS was born. And ISIS was created as a result. And Iran 
you know, they're still breathing down the neck of uh, the Iranian leadership. They're not satisfied with anything Iran uh, deep economic has, sanctions has offered. Against deep Iran. economic sanctions. They've signed an agreement, and now they're saying they want to renege on the agreement. No, they have. The United States has ended the agreement. You know, at the behest of Israel. So the only country, North Korea, North Korea just con- kept you know, testing their nucle- nuclear weapons the, and uh, making their own kind of uh, threats, military sh- threats and so forth. And then what do we have? They're the only country out of the three, two countries. One has been totally destroyed. The other one has, uh, squeezed. has been squeezed. And North Korea is like we are in a honeymoon with North Korea now. Yeah, and I want to remind you of one other player in all of this, and because this is a, this is something that I'm sure is part of Kim Jong Un's calculation. When the United States promised Gaddafi if he gave up his nuclear program, and we know what happened, <laughs> and Gaddafi promised to give up his commitment to nuclear, uh, uh, being a nuclear state, also, Gaddafi, uh, and to some extent Saddam Hussein, you know. Both of these leaders. No, no. We have to be actually Saddam Hussein. Basically, you know, they've made up a whole story and a whole lie and about a pretext sure. about the capability of nuclear sure. weapons and yellow cake and trains moving, sure. laboratories. This was all nonsense. Nonsense. Having said that, Gaddafi actually agreed. Unfortunately, some people would say agreed with the American plan to, you know, get rid of its nuclear program. And we know what happened to uh, Gaddafi and, and uh, Libya right now, which is in complete, utter disarray. So one thing that I do know is that the, the North Korean leadership is incredibly smart, incredibly savvy. That's actually one of our comments uh, from Alan, who's uh, watching us on Facebook Live, said that North Korea are not fools. They are they're very smart. Very smart. Not only are they very smart, they have they they were ten times better prepared mm-hmm. for this meeting than than the United States. And as usual, Jamal, Kim Jong Un played Donald Trump like a fiddle. I mean, he played him. He did? He played him up, down, left, and right. And um, for the United States to be on that same level, having the North Korean flag and the American flag side by side with these leaders was a huge coup for the, for the North Koreans. Huge, huge. Here, let's take a look. Here is actually a summary of the agreement So, for, for our listeners. One, the United States and North Korea commit to establish new U.S. Uh, DPRK, no, that's uh, acronym for North Korea, relations in accordance with the desire of the peoples of the two countries for peace and prosperity. Two. By the way, that means nothing. Yeah, it means <laughs> the United States and <laughs> the DPRK will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. Okay, that means nothing. Three, reaffirming the April 27, 2018 uh, uh, declaration, the DPRK commits to work toward complete denuclearization. Commits to work towards, by the way. That's that's very important. Commits to work 
to work toward complete denuclearization okay. of the Korean Peninsula. That doesn't mean anything. It, it's, and, it doesn't mean anything. And then finally, the United States and the DPRK commit to recovering uh, POWs and MIAs sure. uh, remains, including the immediate repatriation of those already identified. Sure. Okay. That's yeah. basically. This is a summary. If you read it and but, you, but frankly, from all sides. But frankly, it's an absolutely meaningless agreement. Not now to the families who have service men and women who are POWs in in North Korea uh, to be able to access the remains. Okay, that's. That's really great. That's fantastic. But in the bigger scheme of things, the United States got nothing. Now, I do believe, Jamal, that Donald Trump, um, I know the way he thinks, right? You know the way he thinks. He doesn't think strategically as a political leader, as the leader of the so-called free world. He thinks as a developer. So one of my favorite statements that Donald Trump made was, we're going to develop I mean, look at the great beaches that North Korea has. When they shoot their can cannons, they don't have <laughs> cannons, by the way. They have inter, you know, ICBMs. They're not cannons. He goes, you guys got beautiful beaches. He's already setting up Trump after he's out of the White House one way or the other to be the main developer of North Korea. I mean, that's the way he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it as, oh, here's a place where I can develop condos. I can develop properties. And he's also thinking, oh, free slave labor. We can build manufacturing in Korea. That's basically the selling point is yet another colony. It's another way to colonize, if you will, politically, economically, and to bring, as Donald Trump likes to say, into the, you know, the, 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 the world of nations, you know, some sort of crazy language. But really, he's seeing this as a developer sees it. And there's no deal here. I mean, I know that Pompeo, our new secretary of state, is supposed to be negotiating with, uh, you know, the, you know, with uh, the North Korean leadership. But if you were a betting man, Jamal, and I know you're not, the best estimates say that it will take a minimum of 10 years to completely denuclearize North Korea. So here's my question for you. Do you believe in Donald Trump's lifetime? Today's his birthday, by the way. 72nd. 72nd. He's 72 years old. He looks a lot older, by the way. Do you think in Donald Trump's lifetime, either as a president or just in his regular life, that the Korean Peninsula will be denuclearized? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. What is I the think, incentive? Uh, well, the incentive for the North Koreans, they're back on the international stage. They are now, I mean, imagine, who would have imagined that the leader of North Korea will be you know, walking hand in hand with the president of the United literally States, hand in hand. right? <laughs> literally hand in hand. They're, you know, and so, so this whole they've achieved the normalization. They are going to achieve uh, removing the sanctions and the threats, and possibly the withdrawal of U.S. troops or reduction in the number of U.S. troops in the uh, Korean Peninsula. And they know that the only thing that they have. And, and and it apparently it has succeeded is the threat absolutely or the technology of having nuclear weapons because the technology is more important than having them 
Absolutely. You know, the ability to be, you know. Having the centrifuges, having access to and, the uranium and, and the plutonium. And they are not, trust me, they will not give up this. And also, as you've mentioned, we've mentioned, they are, they are not stupid. They saw what happened to uh, Muammar Gaddafi when he decided to get rid of his non-functioning, by the way, nuclear reactor. Right. And so why would they repeat the same mistake? No, I I don't get it. I don't I, see the incentive. There is, In fact, there is no incentive because the other thing that has happened as a result of Donald Trump meeting uh, Kim Jong-un, Jamal, is that Putin now wants to meet with him. He's already met with the premier, Xi Jinping, of China. The day after they shook hands, China was already – you know, sending, you know, because uh, they had stopped their supply chain into North Korea. They had also stopped the, you know, the slave laborers from North Korea coming into China. All that is turned around. Russia, people don't know this, but Russia actually has a trade, has a border, shares a border with uh, North Korea. They're starting to open up their trade routes with them again. So this is a huge boom uh, boon for uh, North Korea. More goods and services, more money coming in, not being an axis of evil state anymore. I, I ask you the same question. What is the incentive for Kim Jong-un to give up his power? It, it just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And I'm sure they know what they're doing. They've calculated ev ev every move. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the hypocrisy. Which one? The hypocrisy within so within the Republican Party, the hypocrisy within the uh, media. You know, uh, those who were before attacking, for example, uh, President Obama, saying like when he started, like, oh, I, I would sit down with, with, uh, you know, the leadership at uh, in North Korea. He came under attack, they like like uh, Sean Hannity and others, and all of a sudden now they are full of praise and they are, you know. Hey, don't forget they they attacked Obama when he uh, when he opened up the relationship with Cuba. And when he sat down with Raul Castro, the they went crazy attacking Obama. Which so. is, by the way, part of our next half conversation right. because we're going to have a, a report by Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi who returned Just recently returned from Cuba. Right. From Cuba, we'll talk about her visit. But you're absolutely right, and 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 uh, Trump now has uh, you know has basically almost shut down the embassy that uh, we that the United States established in in Cuba you know as if Cuba is a major threat right wants to reverse the Iran agreement right and 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 these people were criticizing Obama for this and now all of them and in fact they have uh, um, you know you could have sound bites of, of Sean Hannity how he attacked basically uh, Obama when he said he would consider or sitting right. down uh, with Kim uh, Jong-un and, and now he, you, the same man is just praising, saying, you know, how brilliant is Donald Trump for pulling such a deal. Uh, but there is, a, there is a clip actually that I found very entertaining uh, from Fox News. 
and I'm not going to play the clip about but uh, I'm, I'm, Sean Hannity. Well, okay, but, but I'm 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 a little worried that you're watching Fox <laughs> News. But I know you 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 like to survey the media. I understand that. Yeah, but there is a clip, a very entertaining clip, when uh, Donald Trump arrived. The North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un. Anthony, talk to us about this moment. I mean, this is history. We are living, regardless of what happens in that meeting between the two dictators, what we are seeing right now, this is history. Did you pay attention to that? Yeah, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> she in said, history. No, she said. She, listen again. Anthony, talk to us about this moment. I mean, this is history. We are living, regardless of what happens in that meeting between the two dictators, what we are seeing right now, this is history. Two dictators. Oh, I didn't even... Oh, you see, people didn't pay attention no, to this. Oh, it's two dictators? Yeah, she said, basically... Oh, my God. Yeah, let's talk about this historic me- meeting between the two dictators. Wow. This okay. is... Okay. This is Fox News. Well, they got it right know, this time. You know, they got it right or or do you think she made a mistake? No, I think they got it right. So <laughs> here's the thing, though, Jamal. If you look at what's happened this week in terms of what's going to happen with the Trump presidency, you have the debacle, the disaster of Singapore, which is going to come back to haunt people. You have his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, firing his legal team, we don't have time to go in, in, in depth in that today because what it portends, it looks like Mr. Cohen is going to flip and potentially be, uh, you know, a witness now against Donald Trump is going to be kind of a conforming witness. If that happens, that's going to be a disaster. And the, the Mueller uh, investigation, Jamal, has just requested, I think, in a— 150 blank subpoenas to kind of extend and expand their collusion uh, and uh, obstruction of justice investigation into the Trump campaign and, and into Trump himself. This, this is an absolutely disastrous week, and it can only get worse from here. So we have to get our seatbelts on because the next number of weeks and months – leading up into the midterm elections in, you know, in November, we're really headed for some very difficult, problematic things. And the other thing that I think we need to talk about today, um, and that's the tragedy and the brutality and the absolutely inhumaneness of separating asylum seekers uh, at coming from Central uh, America and from Mexico, separating asylum seekers, separating their children— from their parents once they come to the United States. This turns out to be not just barbaric and inhumane. It also turns out to be, a, to be illegal under international law. The United States is a signatory to all of the you know, international conventions on asylum seekers, human rights, all of those things. And what does it say about this administration that they would rip the, from the clutches of uh, children's hands, their parents, and separate children as young as four months, breastfeeding children, children who can't even walk, who are still um, basically crawling, separating children from their parents, 
uh, as a way to punish people for trying to make a better life for themselves. That's also happening this week. You're absolutely right. And and sadly, uh, Donald Trump has smugly, I would say, because I watched him on TV, lied by claiming that laws passed by Democrats forced the separation of children from no. parents. That had nothing no, to do nothing with to do. his administration. Attorney General Seth Sessions insisted that it is necessary to separate children from their parents when they are detained uh, at the border. These are the callous claims that you know that we keep hearing about from the right. president of the United States and the attorney general you know and anyone serving in this administration they have basically they have choices to make right you know so what does it say Jamal that we want to shake hands and get in bed with dictators who are who are basically you know living in uh, these oppressed states that he's willing to sit down and give a bromance hug to Kim Jong-un and at the same time create conditions on the border with Mexico in which children who have already come hundreds if not a thousand miles or more from you know, gang violence, domestic violence and abuse, separating these traumatized children from their parents. What does it say? You know, people, you know, you have to pay attention to this stuff because it's, you know, we're – we're creating these conditions where, and you know, we were making a joke about it before, but in some way we've become an axis of evil, well, haven't we? Well, it's no joke. I mean, we talked about the so-called axis of evil established before. Iraq, Iran, North Korea, Iraq totally destroyed. Iran still on the list and still facing sanctions. North Korea, they... Test nuclear weapons. They have nuclear weapons. We have a bromance with them. The new axis of evil, our neighbors to the north, Canada, and Trump attacks attacks their prime minister and tries to humiliate him. The EU is under attack. You know, historically, the EU and the UK, the, the longtime allies of the United States, Historic. we have issues now facing them. And our neighbors to the south, we attack their the, citizens. Right, but we, we separate the children coming from the south border. We treat that we want to build a wall. This is the new axis of evil. That's I, why I, when we talk about the new axis of evil, this is now according, again, according to Donald Trump, the new axis of evil. And on that note, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. We're at 89.5 FM. We're in San Francisco. We're going to be actually speaking with Rabab Abdulhadi. We, we have to take a break here. Um, what are we going to do? I guess we're going to take a break from Facebook Live right now also, Jamal. Yeah, we are going to be calling in Dr. Rabab Abdulhadi and just to give our uh, listeners a, a brief. She just returned from um, Havana. Havana, which is, by the way, kind of maybe also on the axis of evil. Kind of, yeah. You know. And she's going to be giving us a report, and uh, we uh, are going to be talking to her via telephone. So we are not going to be having her in the studio. So this kind of completes our Facebook uh, live broadcast. We'll see you Facebook live and the next, next week. But you can listen to us on kpoo.com. Right. Listen to us and, on uh, kpoo.com. And later on, we will po- post the audio uh, interview on our website. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Welcome back to Arab Talk on KPOO, San Francisco, 89.5 FM. We are really honored to have Professor Rabab Abdelhadi back with us. She just returned from an academic uh, in, uh, trip to uh, Havana, Cuba. Welcome back, yes. uh, Rabab. We're so delighted to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be back. So tell us about your experience, your trip. And uh, we earlier we were talking about the new axis of evil that Trump has uh, created. You know, uh, obviously, uh, probably Cuba is still one on his list because the new axis of yeah. evil is Canada, the EU, our allies, uh, Cuba, Iran. Uh, and at the same time, uh, countries who has have de developed nuclear weapons like North Korea, the, he went to have a bromance uh, uh, with their leaders. Yes, I think it's uh, it's actually very interesting because also today the newspapers were reporting about the ifar that uh, Trump has in the White House for some uh, embassies of the Arab world, but none. But most uh, Muslim communities in the United States were not included, none. and the ways in which none. No, they were they were very few. I think they were not not invited according to the New York Times, mm. and also that is a subsequent relationship with uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates. By contrast, he thinks that he he is looking at uh, Cuba, at uh, Iran, at uh, Palestine, at, at people who are actually trying to change, have uh, control over their destinies as evil. And I think it also it's a giant with this policy about looking at uh, any anybody who is defying uh, U.S. imperialist interests as part of the enemies, anybody who is defying the way Trump looks at uh, governments, at the U.S., at the whole question of governors as a business. He's really looking at it, and he wasn't really such a great businessman, but he's trying to do something different. As far as our trip to Cuba, we went to present uh, part of our project, Teaching Palestine, Pedagogical Practice and the invisibility of justice that we've spoken about uh, last time we were on the show as we returned from Palestine where we had conferences with Bizet and Al-Najah. This time we presented at the Caribbean Studies Association uh, the project was entitled Teaching Palestine in the Caribbean, and we were called, we had some of the people who presented in Palestine go uh, to uh, Havana, and uh, the uh, co conference participation was facilitated by one of our colleagues, uh, who studies who's Haitian, who studies uh, professor, a postdoctorate uh, scholar from uh, Central School University, Central University. Uh, uh, graduate center in New York, and uh, we presented a panel, and we're trying to, we were trying to look at, and we looked at the relationship historically of solidarity between Palestine and uh, Cuba and the Caribbean in general, the role Cuba has played, the role other Caribbean scholars, like Fanon, MSSR, Audrey Lord, John Jordan, Benjamin Zafanaya, Sewell Hall, there are many, and people don't think about them. All these scholars we have, have a very important role in both uh, crafting what we call anti-colonial <laughs> 
uh, some people call it post-colonial, but I call it anti-colonial studies, understanding of anti-colonialism and resistance to colonialism, and thinking about solidarity. So this was uh, the, the, the project we presented at. And of course, we also visited the Organization of Solidarity of Africa, Asia, and Latin America right. that has historically been in solidarity with the Palestinians. We went to Che Guevara's uh, a place where he's buried in Santa Clara. We went to actually we reached the point where the U.S. Uh, invaded in the day of peace uh, in, uh, in the so, early 60s. So, Rob, yeah. So, yeah Rob, we, we, tell yeah. us about yeah. your set, two questions. One, the status of the question of Palestine from the Cuban perspective and politically what's happening in Cuba now since the Trump administration. Can you give us an analysis? Yes, I can say uh, quickly, uh, let me start with the second question, is that the Trump administration is writing to tighten the blockade against Cuba and make the life of people, people in Cuba miserable in order for to think about regime change, which is what they are trying to do. In Syria, this is what they, what they did in Iraq, this is what they did everywhere around. This is the, the U.S. policy that is very intensive and more aggressive and more crude than ever. But in terms of Palestine in Cuba, it is very, uh, it was very refreshing to actually see again the international solidarity. Uh, we went to several events. First of all, the reception to the to the uh, panel we had was amazing. The meetings with people at the University of Havana, the various scholars who came, the scholars who came from around the Caribbean, was great. But we also attended uh, um, an event on Palestine at the mission of Puerto Rico because Cuba considers Puerto Rico the respect Puerto Rican people, uh, the interest in their own self-determination and independence. And in Palestine, there was a big panel on Palestine. It was, there was no space even to sit. And then on the same evening, there was a big event that was hosted by the, uh, the embassy of Iran in order to mark the Al-Quds Day. And it was all the highest Cuban officials were present there. And everywhere, and it was, it was very clear, the analysis, the slideshow that they presented, they are very much aware of what's going on in Gaza. They are very much aware of what's going on in Palestine. They support, they reject the U.S. Uh, um, um, the, the definition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel insists it is the capital of Palestine. They support the Palestinian right of return. They support Palestinian self-determination. It was very clear that analysis up to date, they know what is going on. They are very much in support of Palestine. They reject Zionism. They reject what Israel is doing and they reject what the U.S. is doing. So this was really very refreshing to see that this solidarity that has started since the Cuban Revolution in 1959 and since Che Guevara also went and visited Gaza in 1959 and continues with the Indian Alliance movement in Osman, everywhere else is continuing. It has not ceased, and actually on the contrary, it has been reinforced and, and strengthened. We also visited a place called Casa Arabe, which is a place where uh, the main director is studying Arabs in Latin America, throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, including the Palestinians, which is something that is sometimes gets overlooked when people think about Arab Americans, Arab Latinos, Latinas. But the whole Palestinian presence and the way in which Palestinians in Cuba and the 30s actually were organizing in solidarity with the 1936-39 revolt in Palestine. And this is something that is actually not really well-known or readily available. But there is a lot of evidence on that. There is a lot of scholarship. There is a lot of uh, interest among people, students, professors, people in the streets, people in the taxi drivers, in the coffee shops. Everywhere you go, people are very much interested and supportive of Palestine. You never go anywhere 
what I said to you, Pakistan, you say Pakistan. I mean, not uh, to undermine <laughs> the struggle of the Pakistani people, but in the U.S., anytime you say Pakistan, they say Pakistan, especially since 9-11-2001 with the U.S. intervention and attack. And, and uh, what about, uh, you know, just a reflection on their education system, since this is also a, an academic trip? Yes, yes, it's a very, well, education is free, uh, up to the university level and beyond. Anybody who wants to do a PhD, it's free in all universities of Cuba. The university is very impressive. Uh, we went visited the, the, the law school where Fidel um, um, Castro and many others have studied in there. The medical uh, is very avail available to everybody for free, of course. But people all have every, I mean, everybody will message, oh, I received my doc, my BA from this university, from that. It is, there is a lot higher, high level of discussion. Uh, we saw it at the conference in terms of the Marti studies, in terms of the Caribbean studies, in terms of Cuba, in terms of international studies. People were very knowledgeable and very aware of what's, uh, what's going on and very much uh, reflective of what's happening in the world as well. And uh, did you manage to meet with uh, Palestinians studying in Cuba or, or, or members of the uh, Arab community yes. there? Yes, I actually, I actually requested and I was able to meet with uh, uh, people. Both I went to the Palestinian embassy, uh, the embassy of Palestine uh, in Havana, and met with the ambassador, and met with members of the community, people who've been there for a very long time, students who are now studying. Every single student who is studying in Cuba now is studying Palestinian, is studying on a scholarship from the Cuban government. All of them are studying medical school, uh, medicine, and it's all paid by the Cuban government. It's not Palestinians are not paying for themselves. It's also the Palestinian embassy is really big, and there are also, I talked to uh, people who were involved historically in setting up the General Union of Palestine students, and people who have been studying for like 12 years in Cuba, who've come there, who have been uh, taken in as a result of various Israeli um, aggressions and so on, as well as Cuba who have been involved historically with Palestine, not just the people who are there, including ECAB, which is the International Solidarity uh, Committee, and the head of ECAB, who gave a very, very important uh, talk at the, at the uh, Al-Quds Day, which was uh, last Friday, marked by the Iranian, hosted by the Iranian embassy. And everybody, of course, speaks Spanish perfectly. And the discussion, and, I mean, it was, it was really overwhelming. If we had time, I would just go into all the details of it. But it was, I haven't even processed it yet. Just well, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to have you back. We just wanted to get the overview today, uh, Rabab, and we really appreciate it. We're glad you made it back. We have a lot to speak with you about in the future, and you'll be joining us uh, for, yeah. for lots of uh, updates because the Cuban uh, perspective on Palestine is one of the most sophisticated of any anywhere in the world, so we want to hear more about it. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, and I would look forward to joining you in the future as well. Thank you so much. That's the voice of Professor Rabab Abdelhadi. Make sure you listen to us at www.arabtalkradio.com, at Twitter, at Arab Talk, at Facebook, at Jamal Dejani 2, and also on SoundCloud. We'll see you next week.